0: Okay, good evening. Well, this evening we continue in the book of Esther. You can turn with me to Esther chapter 6, and what an exciting chapter this is. Uh, You've probably heard me say this before. I really like it when you're watching a movie or reading a book and the bad guys finally get it. And if you're honest, you probably do as well. When the people that are against God and his people and people that are doing evil refuse to repent, and then just continue to do evil, you can't help but pray for them to be judged. I mean, we're looking forward to a day where all those that will repent will repent, and then those that won't will be judged. And it's not that we're looking forward to having them judged, but listen, who doesn't want God in control of this dark world? And soon, if you're like me, you you, you cry out, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As we get to the book of Esther, chapter 6, we see that this is the chapter where Haman finally gets it. Let's open in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we prepare our hearts to receive from your word, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us. Encourage us. If we feel like the world is in disarray and in chaos and it just seems like evil just continues, wickedness continues, and it, it never seems like those who are wicked ever, ever are judged. We can cry out like Aesop, why do the wicked prosper? We can start to think They're just, it's, there's never going to be justice. This chapter, these chapters 6 and 7, help us to remember there will be justice. And when justice comes, you will rule and reign on this earth. And until then, things will not be right. But until then, we pray... We preach your death until you come. We continue to preach the gospel, looking for that day, Maranatha, when you return to rule and reign. Help us as we study your word this evening to understand and apply your word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So in chapter 6, a reminder that back in chapter 2, Mordecai had discovered a plot to assassinate Xerxes, the king. And this took place about five years earlier. He was sitting at the king's gate, no doubt because he was an official within the kingdom. And at that time, back in chapter 2, we read that two of Xerxes' bodyguards, his trusted bodyguards, had become angry with him, and they had conspired against him. Mordecai had found out about the plot and informed Esther, who was queen at this point, who had reported it to Xerxes on behalf of Mordecai. So that should have resulted in Mordecai being rewarded and celebrated, and that should have been a real great moment of his promotion. But nothing happened. And many times when things go well with us, uh, well, we think, okay, well, you know, that's great, but what happens when things don't go well, and they should have, and they don't, and we think, has God forgotten me? As David said, the psalmist in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, how long? Will you forget me forever? And I'm sure for those five years, Mordecai was probably thinking, God forgot about that. Here, I did the right thing. I wasn't promoted. In fact, Haman was promoted. I wasn't promoted. I didn't receive any reward. I didn't receive any any accolades or encouragement. I was forgotten. But you see, God doesn't forget about us. Amen? Amen sometimes God's blessings are deferred they're deferred and this is one of those cases where thank God it was deferred because the deferring of Mordecai's blessing and honor brought about the judgment of God against Haman in a can I only say it this way a delicious way it really is a moment where you think you know when God does bring judgment he really knows how to bring judgment So as we look at this, the two officers had been investigated that Mordecai heard conspiring against the king. They were found guilty. They were hanged on the gallows. And the entire account was recorded in the book of the annals of the king in the king's presence. But for whatever reason, no reward was given. No one seemed to make much of it at all. And then one night, Xerxes couldn't sleep. And so in an attempt to sort of get to sleep, he probably thinks of one of the most boring things he can have read to him. You know, have you ever read the, the, the minutes of a meeting? It's not, you know, a page-turner. It's generally something that will put you to sleep. Well, here's what we read. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. And it was found, recorded there, that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who had guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Imagine, nothing had been done for him. And, and it's not a good practice to not reward someone who saved your life. As you can imagine, this was probably an oversight. You know, sometimes we just forget to say thank you. And some people get all wigged out. I mean, I'm sure you've had these experiences. You know, seven years ago in three months, I gave you a gift and you never even said thank you. It, but sometimes things happen. they are oversights and it'd be best if there's an oversight. to just sort of clear the air, right? Probably don't wait seven years to say something about it. But it's amazing how often we're just We're offended because we assume the worst. Now, sometimes the worst is true. But generally, these things happen. Someone forgot to say happy birthday. Oh, my goodness. They don't love me anymore. They forgot to say happy birthday. And everyone knows that all these people, not me, but all these people on social media broadcast their birthday. And if you're a Facebook friend, you're going to get an alert. You know, it's Robert's birthday. It's Frank's birthday. And so you have to send a little note. And if you don't, it means, oh, my goodness, it's almost as bad as unfriending them. But we understand I'm not on any of that, so I don't know people's birthday. I mean, I know certain people's birthdays, but here's the thing. You so often can be offended by an oversight, and sometimes that's all it really is. It's just someone forgot, or it's an oversight. And this was simply an oversight, but God was in control of that oversight, as we'll see. So Xerxes, unable to sleep, and this is the night before the second banquet he's about to attend, which we'll see. He had attended a a banquet the day before that Esther had given uh, to invite Haman and the king, King Xerxes, to the banquet. Uh, She said at that banquet, please come to a second banquet the next day, and then I'll let you know what it is that I'd like to request. So Xerxes orders the book of the Chronicles to be read, but isn't it true that God can use a sleepless night he can use a sleepless night to reveal the truth to those in power. I pray that every leader in our country and in our world would have a sleepless night tonight. That God would speak to their hearts and show them the truth. And they'd be convicted, especially those that are wicked. And there are so many that are. That they'd have a sleepless night. Wouldn't get an ounce of sleep. They'd just be up all night thinking about the things that they support and that they do contra- that are contrary to God's word. Well, that's what happened here. He just couldn't get to sleep. God used that. And the, the discovery of the plot that, that Mordecai discovered to assassinate Xerxes was read to him that night. And as he's sitting there, unable to sleep, he thinks, what? And he discovered that Mordecai had received no honor, no recognition for saving his life. Now, Mordecai had saved Xerxes' life and this happened shortly before Haman had been elevated. So imagine if you're Mordecai, you save the king's life, and your enemy gets elevated. They get a promotion. And Haman had been given a seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles in the Persian court. Mordecai, if anyone was going to be promoted, Mordecai should have been elevated for his loyalty to Xerxes. And he wasn't. And so the principle is this, and I want you to remember this. This is our application. God may choose to delay our rewards and our recognition in this life for his purposes, but our ultimate blessing. So maybe you haven't received that promotion that you earned, that you really deserve. Could God be working in the deferral of that for his ultimate purpose in your life? I know God is good. I know his blessings are good. And I know something that he never fails to remember that which we do for him and for others. So you have to just sit back and say, you know, the blessings of God will come when God chooses to bless me. And you have to trust God in that. Well, Xerxes was determined now to honor Mordecai for his discovery of the plot to assassinate him, again, five years later. And we read in verses 4 through 11, we'll read the whole section. This is quite interesting. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. And his attendants answered, Oh Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And when Haman entered, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head, and then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes, and let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Couldn't have happened to a Nicer guy. He really did, or he hasn't even gotten it all yet. But he really did get what he deserved, didn't he? Being the egomaniac he was, he thought, "Oh, the king wants to honor me." Well, Haman, ironically, Haman had just arrived in the court. He had had a gallows built, seventy-five feet high. We saw last week, just to hang Mordecai. So he needs the permission to do this because he's one of the king's servants, right? So. He's going to have all the Jews killed within 11 months. But at this point, he just wants to get rid of that Mordecai. So he comes here to say to the king, listen, I I need to hang this guy on the gallows. Will you sign off on it? And as he's there sort of in the waiting room in the outer court waiting to come in to be summoned, right? (laughs) What happens? His worst nightmare. And I don't feel bad. I don't feel one little bit bad for this guy. He had it coming. You see, Haman had arrived to speak about this. Looking to honor Mordecai, Xerxes starts to engage Haman in a conversation. Of course, Haman was hoping to ask to have him hanged, and now he's going to find out he's actually the man that the king wants to honor. Xerxes ordered Haman to enter, asked him what they should do for this man. Haman, thinking it's him, comes up with all of these very amazing honors. (laughs) And he foolishly assumed that he was the man that Xerxes wished to honor. You know, there, there have been times where, and I'm one of those people that I don't, I don't like. And come on up to Pastor So-and-so. Come on up and we're going to, you know, honor you. I, I, I really don't like any of that stuff. It makes me very uncomfortable. But, you know, there are times where, you, you know, I'm at a wedding and maybe I'm the pastor that officiated the wedding. And all of a sudden someone gets up, the MC. And he says, okay, we're going to ask the pastor to come up and pray. And I'm like, oh, no, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. And then when it isn't me, I'm happy. I'm, I'm that guy. I don't, I don't want to be the guy that has the microphone. But, of course, if I'm asked to pray, I don't mind praying. But let somebody else pray. I pray all the time. So I'm not one of the guys that like all that attention necessarily, right? I don't do this because I like attention. So here's the thing. This guy loved attention. And he thinks it's him. So being distracted from his request to have Mordecai hanged, his hatred of Mordecai was only superseded by one thing and one thing only, his selfish pride. See, he was filled with rage. He wanted to kill Mordecai. But then he hears about a man being honored, and he thinks, oh, it must be me. And so right away, he forgets about his hatred. Now he's into pride. So this guy is really a wicked man, obviously, a wicked, wicked person. So Haman proposes these great honors and public recognition that he desired for himself. And in so doing, we learn some things about the ambition of Haman. We learn this. We learn his heart's true, selfish desire for royalty. Now, why is that? Do you remember what I told you if you were here about Haman? He was an Agagite, which means he was an Amalekite descended from a king named Agag. So he is a prince, of the people of the Amalekites. But Amalek doesn't have a country anymore, and they're not in charge, and so he's not given a crown or a position, even though he's of royal blood and probably should be the head of a people. So, as an Agagite, as descended from the, the king of the Amalekites, he sees himself differently than others see him. He sees himself maybe the way certain people in the monarchy see themselves whether it's the British monarchy or another European monarchy, they see themselves as just anointed by God just to be a little bit better than the rest of us. I'm not a big fan of that, by the way, uh, for obvious reasons. But having said that, understand, this guy thought he would probably make a better king than Xerxes. That becomes clear because when given the opportunity to receive honor, I guess sort of pretending he didn't know it was for him, and it wasn't, but he, he thought perhaps it was. He wanted to wear a royal robe that the king had worn. Envious much? He wanted to ride a horse with a royal crest that the king had ridden. So what does that tell you? Every time he saw the king Xerxes on his horse or in his robe, he was envious. He wanted what the king had. He wanted one of the king's most noble princes to lead him through the city streets, just like the king did. He wanted, you know, the king was led through the streets to the praise of the people. He wanted. this prince to proclaim him to be the man the king delights to honor he wanted to be king and if you can't see that if you can't read that between the lines you're not looking close enough this man thought he would be a better king than xerxes now there are people like that that are very very nice to us they always want to bless us and be good but really they want to be us and i'll tell you something our pastors know this Being a pastor, it's a position of service. Once you understand it's servant leadership, it's not as glamorous as some people make it to be, okay? Let me just be honest with you. I've been doing this a while. It's not the glamour that everyone thinks it is. But sometimes people do think that a position in the church, a pastoral position or a teaching position, is somehow this celebrity position. And unfortunately, there's some pastors that are celebrities, and I'm not going to go there today another time perhaps. But what I've learned is sometimes in ministry you'll have one or two people that come into the church and they see the pastor and they think, oh I want to be him. So they're right there where you want them and their motivation is not right. They have an ulterior motive. They want position. They want power. They want to be influential. They want people to see them. They want to be honored. They think that being a pastor means those things. But I want you to remember that Jesus, who is our Great Shepherd, ended up on a cross, all right? So as we pastors serve you, the congregation, that's what we are, we're just servants, um, we would prefer to stay off the cross, but listen, that's a part of our daily life, dying to self and living for others. But they don't see it like that, so now all of a sudden they, they want this position, and God help them if they ever get it. And that's why the Bible talks about not laying hands on someone who's a, who's a novice, who's new, because they'll be conceited and lifted up in pride, So Haman is coming at this thing from, ooh, I, what was it in the Lion King, I just can't wait to be king? Come on, parents, if you have little ones, you had to hear that song a few hundred times. So it's this idea that just can't wait to be king. And so Haman wanted all of these things. And then Xerxes (laughs) orders Haman to honor Mordecai. Can you imagine? I wish we had a picture of his face. If they had put any pictures in the Bible, this is one I would have really liked to have seen. A picture of this guy's face when Xerxes ordered him to honor Mordecai with the great honors and public recognition that he wanted, that he had proposed. And Haman, as the king's most noble prince, who had been elevated to that position, was the one selected to lead Mordecai through the city streets proclaiming the king's honor. Wow. you got to love it. When someone gets what they deserve in this kind of a situation, you really do. Listen, don't think less of me. I pray this all the time for our leaders in our nation. Really. David prayed it. May they fall into the pit that they have dug for me. You know, may the trap that they've, they've put out there for me, may, may they be in the snare that, of, or the trap that they, they put out there for me. He, he would pray these psalms. They were imprecatory psalms. And basically, he's asking for God's judgment. Now, the Bible says vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We forget that. When someone wants vengeance, they say, well, you really shouldn't want vengeance because the Bible says vengeance is mine. Well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, finish that. I will repay. It's not that God isn't going to avenge the martyrs and those who are persecuted. It's just that you can't take that vengeance into your own hands. It's not that you can't pray for it. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. I pray for God's justice in this world all the time because I am just sick, sick to my stomach with what's going on in our schools, what's going on in our culture, what's going on in our government, what's going on in our world. And, you know, I can do one of two things. I can cause an insurrection or a rebellion, which, of course, I'm not called to do, or I can pray for God to bring justice. And so I know that vengeance is mine, the Lord says. So I pray for God to bring his vengeance, to bring his justice. He says he'll repay. If this is the way that God brings justice, I'll wait a little while longer. Because this is great stuff. Okay? So that's how I get through these difficult times and the darkness in this world. Some people build bomb shelters and go into the woods and, you know, become survivalists. That's not me. I just pray for God to bring his justice on those who are wicked. And I wait And I wait, and I wait for it to happen. Okay, so let's get into verse 12. Look at verse 12. Afterward, can you imagine that walk home? Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh's wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. He will surely come to ruin. That's a little encouragement. Imagine walking through the door, looking for a little comfort, and your wife and your best advisors tell you, You're done. It's over for you. Your downfall has begun. But, you know, these are the same people that in the previous study he came home and bragged to. And there's something, when you're a braggart, when you're somebody that boasts all the time about how good you are, and then you get it, those people that you brag to, even if they don't show it on their face, they're really happy about it. Let's be honest. Somebody like that, you're like, it's about time. And I know I'm not exemplifying the character of Christ when I say these things, but if we're going to be honest, this, this account is all about God's justice on wicked people who try to destroy God's people. We can relate to that, can we not? We have people in our world today who are wicked who are trying to destroy God's people, us. So as I look at this, that encourages me. I'm encouraged to know that God is in control. That, that's what I'm learning here as I study this. Mordecai returned to his position at the king's gate after having been publicly honored by Haman. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief because he had been publicly humiliated by his own proposal. By the words of his mouth, he was judged. And the scripture talks about this, the idea that by our own words we'll be judged, you know, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So he speaks and his very words come back to haunt him. He has to live through them. Now, Haman's advisors and his wife warn him, you're going to come to ruin. They knew that the edict to destroy the Jews throughout Persia would soon be his downfall. That's a few months away, but when it happens, they know it's over. But he still had till the 13th of Adar to try to cover up his plan to kill Mordecai and his people. Now he's got to scramble. He's got to figure something out. Because if it comes out that he wants to kill Mordecai and the Jews, now he's in trouble. But he's still got months. He's still got, what did I say, 11 months? He's still got some time to figure it out. And fortunately for him, he had not yet requested to hang Mordecai on these gallows that were 75 foot high. Now, here's the thing about gallows 70 foot, 75 foot high. If you were to build anything that high, everyone in the city would know, right? You're not going to miss it. So people were already talking. Well, what are those gallows by Mordecai's house? They're 75 feet. High. That's about twice the distance to the peak of this, this roof. So imagine that, okay? About twice, maybe a little less. Everyone's asking, and of course, oh, that, those, those gallows are for who? For Mordecai, because Haman wants to kill him. So the rumors are out there. People are talking about it already. The king doesn't know, but think about it. His, the stage is being set for justice and judgment. So, <clears throat> but he hadn't asked the king, so he's not exposed yet. He had been delighted with the suggestion of his advisors and his wife to have these gallows built, But everyone in Susa knew that he had built these imposing gallows for one person and one person only for Mordecai. So the end is near. Well, Haman is then summoned. We read in verse 14. Before he can do anything, before he can tell anyone, you know, take down the gallows, take down the gallows. No, before that can happen in verse 14, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. So now he has to go. He has no choice. So summoned to the banquet before he could do anything. Haman had no idea at this point, think about this, that Esther was a Jew. She had hidden that, right? So he had no idea. Or that she was planning to expose him and his edict to Xerxes. (laughs) So the best is yet to come. And here, the other thing, Haman no doubt believed that he could still have a little time to address his foolish actions against the Jews after the banquet. He's going to a banquet, I'm sure in his mind is, okay, after the banquet, I'm going to take down the gallows. I'm going to see what I can do about this edict. I have to save my skin. He's probably thinking that way. But you can't get away from the judgment of God. And it's coming. And so we read in chapter 7, verse 1, So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine, on that second day, The king again asked Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request, for I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Again, be great to have a picture of his face, Haman's face, that is. Well, Esther said, The adversary and the enemy is this vile Haman. And then Haman was terrified. Before the king and queen, and the king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? And as soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows, 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's fury subsided. Wow. That happened kind of quick, didn't it? You know, see, when God gets involved in something, it can happen quicker than you can even blink an eye. And so many times we look at our world and we think, oh, how is this ever going to be fixed, these problems we have? God is always working on behalf of his people. You know that, amen? And this happened, like, literally overnight. Overnight, everything changed. He was on top of the world, and now... He's hanging from a gallows on top of the world. It all turned on him so quickly. And listen, with God, we know all things are possible. But with God, when he brings justice, it happens swift. It happens swiftly. You, you can't get in the way of God's predetermined will. And especially when he brings his judgment, there is nothing you can do to stay God's hand in that regard. So here Esther gives this second banquet. And uh, these men, they attend. And isn't it interesting? Xerxes, again, he, he asked Esther, what is it you want? This is the second banquet. And, and told her, you, you're going to get whatever you want. Reasonably speaking, even up to half the kingdom means whatever you desire within reason. And by the way, this is actually the third time that the king had assured her he would grant a request. Third time. So whatever she asked for, she's going to get. And here's the thing. What she asked for is justice. Are you with me? Did she ask for anything that would really not be considered just? Did she ask for something that was unjust? She asked for justice. That's all she asked for. So if I could encourage you to pray for our nation and our culture, pray for justice, God's justice in this world. Believe me, there's nothing better than God's justice except his mercy. But you can't receive his mercy unless you receive Jesus Christ. If you want God's grace and mercy and not justice, then you need to give your heart to him. But if you reject Christ, there's only one thing for it, and it's God's justice. And of course we would rather that all these lunatics and crazy people would just actually repent and receive God's mercy and grace. That would be our first prayer. It would. I would love to see the most wicked, vile sinner repent and receive Christ. But if it's not going to happen, then justice, Lord, bring justice on them. And that's how we're encouraged to pray in God's word. So she's asking for justice. Esther had promised, I'm going to tell Xerxes at this bank what I want. And really, all she wanted was for the king to spare her and her people from Haman's edict, genocidal edict, to destroy the Jews. She begged for her life and the lives of her people who would soon be put to death throughout Persia. And when he asked the question, (laughs) who was it that dared to issue this edict to destroy your people? And he's finding out now that she's a Jew. He didn't even know, really. Not that it mattered, but she had kind of hidden that. Esther finally exposes Haman as the vile adversary and the enemy of the Jews. I mean, at a certain point, he probably saw it coming, right? At a certain point, but the day before, he certainly didn't. And it says Haman was terrified. Once he realized Esther was a Jew and that he had sentenced her people to death. And so, we've already read it, Xerxes ordered Haman hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. That's poetic justice. And when the Jews read this at Purim, and I don't know if you happened to see the episode of The Chosen this, just this last week. Strangely enough, they were just reading and celebrating, or celebrating Purim and reading this portion of scripture at the table. And you get to see that during Purim, the Jewish families will recount this, this story, this account in God's word, and they boo when Haman's name is mentioned, and they celebrate when uh, Esther brings about the deliverance, and Mordecai is elevated. You know, they, 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 they celebrate. It's a very dramatic reading, and they have a lot of fun with it. It's a time of celebration. They sing, and they dance. They have a great time. They celebrate. It's a feast. And they kind of pictured that in uh, that series. I don't know if you're watching it, I am, but uh, the series The Chosen. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, oh, that's good timing, because literally going to be teaching that this week. But here's the thing. Xerxes was enraged when he discovered that Haman had planned to destroy his queen and her people, the Jews. Now, there's a little bit of truth here we need to get to. If you remember with me back in chapter 3, Haman had received Xerxes' approval to do this, to destroy the Jews. Now, Xerxes didn't know what Haman was up to because he had vaguely identified a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples of Persia. He didn't really identify them. And all he accused them of, he accused them of having different customs and not obeying the king's laws. And he had suggested that it wasn't in the best interest of the king to tolerate them. And then he proposed that the king issue a decree to destroy them, and he offered to pay the expenses. Now, the fault of Xerxes is he didn't ask any questions. He just sort of gave the signet ring to Haman and said, you know, you do the matters in your hand. You do what you think you need to do. And so Xerxes had coldly signed the death sentence for all the Jews within his kingdom. He was responsible, ultimately, for what Haman did and and Haman's edict. Because he had unwisely given this wicked man full authority to issue his proposed decree. He even declined Haman's offer to pay for the expenses. He didn't listen. He didn't pay attention. As a result, that's not being a good leader, is it? You delegate too much authority, and you don't mind the store, so to speak, and this is what happens. So when Xerxes left the banquet and went out into the palace garden alone, more than likely he's thinking through his part in this because he is not without guilt. He was culpable as well. He was enraged. He now fully understood the edict that Haman had issued in his name. He's made the king look really bad. This king couldn't afford to look bad. He had a lot of problems politically, spending money on foreign wars, trying to beat Greece. The opinion of the people and the polls that, you know, they take in our our government, hey, listen, that's a very important indication. When the people really despise a leader, it's an indication that, you know, things aren't going so well, but he must have certainly realized he was responsible for this edict being issued. So he goes out there to think it through. Okay, he's probably thinking, what am I going to do about this? Because the, the laws of the Medes and the Persians couldn't be repealed. Our laws can be repealed. Theirs couldn't. So now he's in a pickle. He's in a real bind. He's in a fix. And so he returns to the banquet hall to find Haman begging Esther for his life in a very compromising way. Haman realized that Xerxes had already decided to have him put to death. It says that there in uh, verse 7. He knew. He knew. Haman realized that the king had already decided his fate. There's no way that he's not going to be put to death for what he, what he did and how he put Xerxes in a very compromising position with this edict. His selfish desires got in the way of his better judgment, and he's made the king look really, really bad. So it's, going to, it's not going to end well. He knows that. So he's thinking, oh, if I beg for my life, maybe they'll be merciful. Interesting, interesting. He's now bowing to a Jew. And isn't it interesting? Because he had overreacted to a Jew that refused to bow to him, Mordecai. That's justice. He was hoping that Esther would show him mercy and ask Xerxes to spare his life. But it's not going to happen because Xerxes found Haman inappropriately falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. That's not a good look. He accused Haman of trying to molest Esther while he was out in the palace garden. And so he sentenced Haman to death, and he he was removed from the palace. It's over for him. But then, of course, there's this guy Harbona there, right? He goes, oh, by the way, (laughs) now the information about the gallows gets out. Haman was hanged on those 75-foot-high gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai because Harbona had told him exactly what Haman had planned to do. Now think about this for a minute. Mordecai had literally just been publicly honored throughout the city by Xerxes and Haman himself. So Xerxes sentenced Haman to the very same fate that he had prepared for Mordecai. And what our enemies are trying to do to us is exactly what will happen to them. That's the way it works. God's justice is swift. What our enemies are planning to do and trying to do to us, God will turn it around and it will happen to them. And as far as I'm concerned, the sooner the better. And then Xerxes' fury subsided after he had this vile, wicked man put to death. Well, this is like the best highlight of the book. I mean, this is a a moment in the book of Esther. But a couple of things to think about as we close. I want to remind you that God is sovereign. That means he's in control of all things. He's in complete control of all creation. Oh, pastor, how could you say that? With all the wickedness in the world, how could you say God's in complete control? Well, was God in control in Persia? Yeah. Yeah. Even with all that wickedness, he was in control, and he's in control today. See, God uses our enemies' purposes for our good. He works all things together for good. And listen, the things that the world desires, they're going to someday be ours, because the meek will inherit the earth. So all the wicked people, all the power and influence and money, everything that they want, we're going to get because we're in Christ one day when he comes to rule and reign. Our enemies will one day acknowledge God's love for us, the book of Revelation tells us. Our enemies will surely be ashamed in that day, Daniel tells us. Our enemies will be summoned to God's holy presence eventually, the book of Revelation tells us in chapter 20. And our enemies will be completely exposed before God, the book of Hebrews tells us. Open and naked before him with whom we must give an account. Listen, those without Christ will face the king's rage, but not like king Xerxes, they're going to face God's wrath for eternity. And it's their own choice. The book of Philippians tells us every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of those people that bow will bow when it's too late, but every knee will bow. The truth will testify against those that are not in Christ. The truth. See, that's what God does. He judges us and allows us to be judged by the truth. Last time I checked, what did Jesus say about him, himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're judged by the truth as a Christian, you're judged in Christ as righteous. But if you reject Christ, you're judged by the truth. The truth that you are unrighteous and wicked. And you'll end up worse than Haman, really. Eternal death, that is judgment, awaits those without Christ. And so, in all seriousness, our goal, our desire as Christians is to reach the wicked with the truth. Because we really do want them to repent. I, I don't sit here thinking, oh God, please don't let that wicked man repent. I want him to go to hell. I don't pray that way. That's, that's really, that's, that would be messed up even for me. That would be messed up. I pray, Lord, let them repent and acknowledge you as king. But if they won't, may you show them your sovereignty through your justice and your truth. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. And then we pray for that exact thing in our nation, in our culture, in our world. And we know it will never really truly be fulfilled until you come again to rule and reign for a thousand years. But until then, Lord, uh, there have been times where you've brought justice in nations and in cultures. And Lord, I pray when it happens we would see it and know it's you. And celebrate the way the Jews celebrated, as we'll see in future studies, at the time of Purim. Lord, we pray that we would always look to you, not to our own selves for vengeance or justice, but look to you and to trust that you will bring justice in your time, according to your will. May we take the time that we do have now to reach the world with the truth and to live according to the truth. And to live our lives for you, we pray.